Good evening and welcome to the SpaceX and Axiom Space Splashdown coverage of AX2, the second crewed mission to the International Space Station by Axiom Space. I'm Kate Tice, Quality Systems Engineering Manager here at SpaceX headquarters in Hawthorne, California. And I'm Duke Brady, a multimedia specialist with Axiom Space based in Houston, Texas. Nearing 10 days in space, our crew spent eight days aboard the ISS, and while well on board, they covered more than 126 orbits and 3.3 million miles. And now we're in the final phase of our journey. Over the next hour, we will follow the return of Peggy Whitson, John Schaffner, Ali Alkarni, Rayana Barnawi, as they splash down off the coast of Florida and conclude the AX2 mission. Now, we're hoping to bring you live views from our crew soon, uh, but we don't have those views just yet due to ground station coverage. Um, but since departing the International Space Station at 8.05 a.m. Pacific time, the crew had a brief off-duty period where uh, they got to hang out a little bit before preparing the cabin for the final part of their journey home and also put on or donned their spacesuits and completed successful leak suit, suit leak checks. <laughs> now, over the last 11 hours, Hours, Dragon has been moving the vehicle into position for re-entry with a downhill phase burn, a short firing of Draco, Dragon's Draco thrusters to lower the spacecraft's altitude in advance of returning to Earth. Um, that's what you see there with that animation on your screen. Next up, we'll be uh, jettisoning, jettisoning the trunk, which is that cylindrical and pressurized part. Once that trunk detaches, we will use the forward uh, bulkhead thrusters to perform the deorbit burn. Of, of course, re-entry uh, burn follows thereafter, and then we will see the drogue parachutes followed by the main parachutes deploying, and then finally with splashdown. Now, this animation shows us splashing down in the uh, Atlantic Ocean, but we are actually going to be uh, re-entering and splashing down on the Gulf side. We are targeting um, a splashdown location of Panama City. Um, so just a quick note there about that location. <laughs> right, right. And when it does splash down, SpaceX knows exactly where Dragon is expected to land with recovery teams pre-positioned in the area. These teams are trained to get to the Dragon spacecraft quickly, secure it, and then hoist it aboard the main recovery vessel. From there, crews will open the hatch and help Peggy, John, Ali, and Rayana out of Dragon Freedom. And it'll be a super exciting moment. That will be the first breath of fresh air that they've had in 10 days. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure it's going to smell different than station. <laughs> the AX2 mission has been remarkable from start to finish in so many ways, really. This mission is the culmination of years of hard work between both government and private entities to expand opportunities for countries, institutions, industries, and individuals around the world to partake in meaningful science, research, manufacturing, and STEAM-related activities in space. And this crew has certainly stayed busy with many of these kinds of efforts while on station. Yeah, now let's take a moment to properly introduce our crew. The AX2 mission is commanded by retired NASA astronaut Peggy Whitson, Born and raised in Beaconsfield, Iowa, she was inspired along with the world when she watched the Apollo 11 crew walk on the moon. She has since become the most experienced American astronaut and one of the most decorated. Prior to this mission, Whitson flew three long-duration missions to the ISS, accruing more time and space than any U.S. astronaut and more than any woman in the world, a cool 665 days. <laughs> a record she just extended on this mission to 674 days. Now, not only does she serve as the commander for this mission, uh, but Peggy also serves as the director of human spaceflight for Axiom Space.
The pilot for AX2 is private astronaut John Schaffner. Born in Alaska and raised in Kentucky, Schaffner has become the first Alaskan to go to space. He is a STEAM education advocate, business pioneer, and long-life space enthusiast. A pilot since the age of 17, John has over 8,500 flight hours holding commercial, instrument, single-engine, and multi-engine ratings in land and sea aircraft, as well as helicopter. As an athlete, John has years of competitive experience in water skiing, cycling, whitewater kayaking, hang gliding, skydiving, and base jumping. Throughout this mission, John has invested a lot of his time in STEAM education activities aimed at empowering educators and inspiring teachers. Representing the Saudi Space Commission and serving as a mission specialist, Ali Al-Karni was born in March 1992 in Sabat Al-Alaya, Saudi Arabia. Ali is fluent in English as well as his native Arabic. As an Air Force captain, Ali has 12 years of experience flying on multiple aircraft, primarily on the F-15 SA in service, of the, in service to the Royal Saudi Air Force. Ali graduated with a Bachelor of Aerospace Science degree in 2013 from King Faisal Air Academy in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. During this mission, Ali performed a myriad of events and research, including the Biodata EEG Measurement and Stellar Stem Cells Kermit operations. Also representing the Saudi Space Commission, and now the first Saudi woman to go to space, Rihanna Barnawi was born in September 1988 in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Rihanna has a master's degree in biomedical sciences from Al-Faisal University in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and a bachelor's degree in biomedical sciences from Otagi University in Dunedin, New Zealand. She is fluent in English and Turkish, as well as her native Arabic. She has been a research lab technician since 2013 in the stem cell and tissue re-engineering program at King Faisal Specialist Hospital and Research Center located in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And this week, she spent a large portion of her time working in the Life Sciences glove box, conducting stem cell research in microgravity. And there you have it, the AX2 crew. This really is such a wonderful, amazing group, and we are eager to reconnect with them and hear their stories firsthand once they get back home to Houston. Well, like we mentioned before, um, we are hoping to bring you live views of uh, the Dragon capsule momentarily. Now, I do want to note that a few minutes ago, the teams, the SpaceX teams did pull go for deorbit burn. Um, so that's the basically the next big step that we have. Now, at the moment, Dragon is doing a couple of things autonomously, uh, meaning it's doing it all by itself. Uh, it's isolating the thermal control system fluid loops from the radiator. Uh, this system is what will help keep the internal temperature of Dragon uh, temperate for the crew during re-entry. And then after that, we will see the, uh, the claw separate. That claw connects the trunk to the capsule, uh, and it delivers power, telemetry, and fluids. Uh, and that claw separation is the first step in that trunk separation. Um, of course, we have to separate that trunk, uh, or jettison it, really, in order to expose the heat shield, which is located mm -hmm. at the bottom of the capsule. Um, and so once that... Delayed got call, deorbit sequence start. All right, so there that call, just letting us know that that deorbit burn, uh, which will last for about 13 minutes, uh, is now underway. Um, we are right now utilizing the four 
Draco thrusters on the forward bulkhead, meaning they're basically at the top of the capsule, right near where the nose cone is located and also near the um, where the dock, uh, excuse me, the forward hatch is located, which is what is used to dock to the International Space Station. So those four Draco thrusters are firing. Um, that will last for about 13 minutes. Once that's complete, we will close the nose cone. Um, and once that nose cone is closed, we will basically be ready. The Dragon will be physically configured for re-entry. Um, now, we are expecting today to have a loss of signal, or LOS. Um, and that basically is uh, a lot of friction building up on the exterior of the capsule as it is re-entering the Earth's atmosphere, um, and basically resulting in a buildup of super hot plasma. Um, now, we will be flowing cooled nitrox, or nitrogen oxygen. Nominal trunk jettison. It is. Draggy copy. So there on your screen, SpaceX Mission Control, uh, and in the left corner there, that is our uh, crew operations and resources engineer. And I mentioned before that we we um, we had our deorbit burn, burn underway. I got ahead of myself. Um, we just heard the call out for that uh, that claw separation, meaning the trunk will be up next to deorbit. Uh, excuse me, will be up next to be jettisoned, and then we will step into uh, that deorbit burn. On your screen, there, SpaceX Core Michael Blasco, there in the left. The space. Oh, and there we have our first uh, views of the Axiom 2 crew. We can see their visors are up. That's great. We have Commander Peggy Whitson in the foreground, now on the left of your screen, and John Schopner, the pilot, on the right. So I love this view where we can actually see their screens. Um, the if you look at the screen that's on the left-hand side, in the top right corner <laughs> of that left-hand corner, oh, excuse me, of that left-hand display, um, we can actually see a, a graphic that will illustrate which Draco thrusters are firing when. They will illuminate uh, with a, a flash of light. That's a great view of all four crew members. Everybody looks pretty chill. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've trained for this. They've put a lot of time in preparing for all of these moments, and I think it shows right now that they are prepared. We get a good view of our mission specialists on the left, Rihanna Barnawi, and on the far right, Ali Alkarni, with again, uh, pilot John Schopner in the left center, Commander Peggy Whitson in the right center seat. So once again, if you've just joined us, um, the crew, as you can see, in Dragon Freedom, uh, they are on their way home. Uh, they have just separated the trunk so the heat shield is now exposed, the heat shield being uh, you know, an important element of our re-entry method. And then coming up, we will have the deorbit burn. This burn will last about 13 minutes. Um, then we will have atmospheric entry. And as I mentioned, we will have a brief uh, loss of signal or LOS. And then once we uh, at that point in time, we, we should be able to hopefully see Dragon. 
this is a night landing, so we are targeting a, a landing off the uh, coast of Florida in the Gulf of Mexico near Panama City. So I love nighttime splashdowns because yes. <laughs> uh, even folks that are uh, on land from, you know, not necessarily just near Panama City, but um, from areas farther away too, can see mm -hmm. dragons streaking across the sky like this gorgeous comet. You mentioned that plasma that does affect the communications and causes that LOS and We've, some of us have seen video of that from inside the capsule. That plasma is so bright, burning on the outside. It's really fascinating. As I mentioned before, um, there's basically a buildup of friction that occurs around the exterior of the capsule uh, while we are re-entering the Earth's atmosphere because we're going so fast. The atmosphere is actually helping us um, by helping to slow the capsule down significantly uh, prior to the parachute deploy. Um, but yeah, that results in some plasma buildup on the exterior of the capsule. And uh, the crew stays nice and cool inside. We flow uh, nitrox, which is nitrogen-oxygen mixture. Same stuff that's used in scuba tanks. Um, we flow that into the cabin as well as in directly into their suits to help keep everybody comfortable. The temperatures on the outside of Dragon can uh, go above 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit. So. Um, the capsule works hard to keep the crew safe, and ultimately uh, that friction is really helping us to slow the vehicle down. So the crew is now standing by for the deorbit burn. As I mentioned, this will last for about 13 minutes. And we will be utilizing Dragon's four forward Draco thrusters. Those are located near the nose cone. So once that's complete, we can close the nose cone. And the Dior burn is now in progress. As I mentioned before, this burn is expected to last for about 13 minutes. Quick recap, um, we just within the last 10 minutes, Dragon jettisoned its trunk and initiated that deorbit burn just a minute or two ago. Uh, on the view where we have, uh, where we're looking between pilot John Schaffner and commander Peggy Whitson's shoulders, we can actually see those Draco thrusters firing on their uh, on their display screens. I love being able to see that. I'm sure it, it gives them another, I don't know, <laughs> layer of confidence. It's probably great, even though it's an autonomously operating vehicle. Uh, oh, there we go, there's another shot of it. It's That's, nice to have that visual reference. Mm -hmm. The crew appreciates it as well. And then the center screen showing where they are in their trajectory home as well. Now this deorbit burn is the last time that those four forward Draco thrusters will be firing. Dragon has not yet entered the Earth's atmosphere. This deorbit burn is basically what lines the vehicle up and puts it on its final trajectory home to the landing site, which, as I mentioned before, is off the coast of Florida near Panama City. And as we can see, the crew using their screens to keep tabs on the burn duration, the Draco, fire, Draco thruster firings, um, and then, as I mentioned before, trajectory details such as 
entry angle, capsule perigee, uh, how much distance remaining until do-orbit burn termination. As I mentioned before, uh, Dragon is autonomous, meaning it's flying itself. So right now, all the crew has to do is stay strapped in their seats and keep tabs on things. Once it's time for our crew to splash down back on planet Earth, they'll be heading to one of our seven targeted sites supported by SpaceX. All of these sites are located off the coast of Florida, either in the Gulf of Mexico or the Atlantic Ocean. Spreading these supported sites across multiple locations helps to maximize the uh, opportunities to return for this mission and also for future crews, lowering the chance that we'll have to wave off due to bad weather. Since Dragon is capable of splashdown on either side of the Florida Panhandle, we have two identical and fully equipped recovery vessels that are ready to support, one in the Gulf of Mexico, which is Megan, and the other in the Atlantic Ocean, which is Shannon. In the lead up to today, SpaceX selected primary and alternate splashdown locations off the coast of Florida. This selection process takes into account a lot of different variables, including what landing sites are available and which have favorable weather. Today, our primary landing site gets the crew home off the coast of Panama City, Florida, in the Gulf of Mexico. For return, we'll be looking at a number of weather items. Some of the obvious ones are no rain or chance of lightning in the recovery zone, both for the safety of the crew inside the capsule and the recovery teams on the water. But we're also looking for wind speeds less than 15 feet per second, or about 10 miles per hour, and relatively calm seas so we can safely execute recovery operations which include landing a helicopter on the recovery ship to fly our crew back to shore. Yeah, so as you can see, there's a number of variables and criteria that come into play, and uh, ultimately they all help ensure safety for both the crew on board as well as for the recovery teams. Um, <clears throat> but in terms of the weather conditions that we have tonight, they look awesome. Um, for these operations, SpaceX closely coordinates with the United States Coast Guard to establish a safety zone, uh, and that's to ensure public safety for the safety of those involved in the recovery operations, as, as I mentioned, of course, the crew on board the returning spacecraft. Uh, multiple notices are issued to the mariners in advance and during recovery operations, and Coast Guard patrol boats are deployed to discourage boaters from <laughs> entering the splashdown zones. Right, and we really want to stress to the public the need to respect this safety zone. Recovering a spacecraft from the water is a very hazardous operation, and any other boats interfering in the area not only increase the risk to the astronauts in the capsule and the teams working to recover them from the water, but to themselves as well. So for the safety of the crew as well as your safety, we recommend that you sit back and watch as we'll be bringing you the best possible views of our astronauts, astronauts homecoming. Yeah. The only thing I'll add on to that, though, is that if you do live in Florida, 
uh, or along the Gulf Coast, head outside. You should be able to uh, to see the dragon capsule streaking through the night sky. Absolutely. Uh, now, as you might imagine, our crew, Peggy Whitson, John Schaffner, Ali Al-Karni, and Rayana Barnawi, uh, they've gone through extensive training for their mission, including this final phase of reentry. Each crew member has between 700 and 1,000 logged hours since mid-2021 um, of uh, that time dedicated to learning the SpaceX protocols, the international space station systems, and uh, to prepare for their respective research portfolios. Now, as we continue to wait word on the deorbit burn, let's share some, uh, some of the range of these efforts with you now. Private not, ast Private not astronaut training is, is quite rigorous. Uh, to prepare for the AX2 crew mission, um, our team at SpaceX, their teams at SpaceX, had to spend the last several months teaching the crew about orbital mechanics, right? That's absolutely right. They also learned how to live in microgravity uh, and running simulations of full missions from inside our Dragon training capsules. The training program includes nearly 100 different lessons covering all aspects of the flight. <laughs> And list goes on. You guys did such a great job with our crew here. They actually had so many other people they got to visit too. The X2 crew spent time in simulators like this. Uh, uh, this uh, uh, I'm sorry. This uh, centrifuge, and uh, it's experiencing higher g-forces. And so, kind of complementary to this, the crew also participated in a zero-g parabolic flight that simulated the lack of g-forces. But aside from simulating gravitational forces they will experience, they also went, underwent uh, altitude training in a hyperbaric chamber. So this can simulate high altitude and hypoxia so that they can identify not only their own symptoms, but the symptoms of their crewmates if they need to recognize those. They also spent time at Johnson Space Center in the mock-up facilities training for this mission. So to spend eight days living on board the ISS, they spent time learning from the mission controllers experts in safety and emergency ISS procedures, and as well as the essentials to living aboard the orbiting laboratory. Things like how to heat up your food, where to find the equipment you need. The goal is to be able to confidently complete every task on their timeline, but also be contributing members for the space station as a whole with the other astronauts as they carry out their duties. And so to that end, they also went to Cologne, Germany and Scuba, Japan. Uh, they trained with uh, ESA and JAXA to qualify on the European Space Agency's Columbus module, as you'll see here. Um, the ESA instructors shared many of the systems and operations procedures, uh, as well as some of the daily tasks and emergency protocols. Safely to, separately to qualify for the Japanese exploration module, the crew traveled to Scuba, Japan, to learn from instructors at the J Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency. As you can imagine, international collaboration is a constant throughout this mission. So it's one thing to learn the systems of the ISS, but it's just as important to understand how to live and work as a team in a shared space. And so this team spent five days training in the Human Exploration Research Analog, or HERA, at the Johnson Space Center. This is a confined, a confined experience that's designed to isolate the crew to build cohesiveness and teamwork. This experience included a chance to simulate work and research procedures, rehearse outreach efforts, and even respond to mock emergencies, all while living in close quarters and unable to leave the facility. Pretty yeah. exciting stuff. And of course, it all leads up to what they're experiencing now. Um, they are going through what is 
what we refer to as the re-entry phase of the mission. Um, right now, there's a live view of within our Dragon capsule of the AX2 crew. Um, they have spent time rehearsing uh, what happens here. And as we mentioned before, they're, they're mostly just monitoring and uh, keeping tabs on progress. Um, but one thing that they did train extensively on is the egress process from mm -hmm. the capsule. You know, they are returning from 10 days in space. Their body might feel a little different. Um, and uh, in short, to help ensure that we nobody injures themselves and injures themselves when they're egressing or exiting the capsule. Um, they have practiced that here in Hawthorne with the teams uh, just to help make sure that they know what order they're going to go in and, and who to lean on for help um, as they step through the side hatch once again. Right, because everything is so perfectly orchestrated. They, Absolutely. As we talked about, the team staging for the rescue, every, every crew is uh, within three miles of these potential splashdown zones. They know, they know what they're doing, and they've spent time practicing this. Absolutely. <laughs> Great shot of our crew still. That's Commander Peggy Whitson in the bottom of your screen. John Schaffner, the pilot, a little further back, and just out of out of view are the mission specialists uh, Ali Alkarni, hidden below us to the left, and Rihanna Barnawi, uh, uh, far at the top of the screen there. Now the deorbit burn should be wrapping up in about 30 seconds. And we can see uh, exactly as the crew sees on their displays, that center screen showing them their trajectory details as well as what step of the burn that, or what step of the mission we are in. So we can actually, looks like it says there, deorbit burn, which makes sense. That's where we're at right now. After deorbit burn completes, we will close the nose cone. Um, that will be the final physical change of the Dragon capsule prior to re-entry. Um, of course, the nose cone is as the name suggests, <laughs> it suggests it's the cone at the top of the capsule. And while it's been in space, it has been open to help uh, expose those forward bulkhead Draco thrusters, as well as... Um, Deorbit burn complete, performance nominal, nose cone closure initiated. Dragging coffee. Oh, that's great news. We love nominal. So as I was talking about, that nose cone is now going to be shut. In the background, Dragon uh, will also be inhibiting those forward bulkhead Draco thrusters that we just used to complete the deorbit burn. That ensures that it's safe to latch the nose cone shut for reentry. Uh, also, the vehicle has initiated the Nitrox suit purge. This will help keep the crew cool and comfortable during reentry, uh, which looks like is coming up in about 25 minutes. At this point, as we just heard, nose cone is closing and protecting that forward hatch for uh, throughout, uh, will be protecting the forward hatch throughout the re-entry phase. Uh, and the crew using their screens to monitor uh, the progress. And actually that's a live view of the nose cone closing in. Um, this is one of the cameras near that forward hatch and that is the nose cone closing down on top of it. I love that shot, <laughs> that's so great. Once again, this is where the forward hatch is located, which is what is utilized to dock with the International Space Station, as well as those forward bulkhead thrusters. There's four of them, and we utilize those for the deorbit burn, which for those of you that have just joined us, we have just completed that deorbit burn. Um, that is, that's basically what puts Dragon on the final trajectory home. So we're now committed, we're locked into the, um, the Panama City 
uh, splashdown location. Uh, our recovery vessel, Megan, is standing by waiting to scoop Dragon up and lift it uh, onto its deck. Um, but right now, the crew, which we, um, we will be experiencing a loss of signal with the crew, um, that will last for only a few minutes. Um, and that's, not, that's for not until like 20 minutes away or so. Um, but we do expect that to happen because as Dragon re-enters the Earth's atmosphere, there's a lot of friction building up on the outside of it, on the exterior. And that results in uh, plasma buildup, which is super hot. Um, the external temperatures can reach about 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit, so it's pretty hot. That's up there. Um, but the crew stays super comfortable. Uh, we are flushing the cabin with that cool nitrox air. Um, and we're also flowing it through their suits as well. So they're going to stay comfortable. Um, I think the only downside to the reentry <laughs> phase is because of that plasma buildup, you can't really look outside. <laughs> yeah, right. And maybe the coming back to gravity, it's probably a little bittersweet yeah. once you've been on orbit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can only imagine. Um, so the first views that we will have of Dragon will be from our uh, thermal cameras that will be tracking Dragon, as I've mentioned before. If you've tuned in and you lived uh, along the Gulf Coast, you should head outside because you will probably be able to see Dragon streaking across the night sky. Now we're standing by for um, confirmation that the nose cone is closed. Uh, looks like we're tracking that to occur here in the next couple of seconds. Um, so that's closing. Um, the hooks will basically lock. There's two sets of hooks that will lock the nose cone in place. The same hooks that have to <laughs> open up in order to open the nose cone. Crazy to think that that was just 10 days ago that we were talking about nose cone <laughs> opening uh, when the AX2 crew launched. So we're now standing by for confirmation of that nose cone closure. All right, so it looks like the both sets of hooks are confirmed to be closed, so that nose cone is locked into place. Now, as we begin the second half of entry, <clears throat> Dragon is now beginning to flush nitrox into the cabin and continuing to top off the AX2 crew's suits with that cool air. Again, that's what, uh, what will allow the cabin temperature to remain comfortable while the external temperatures reach uh, 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Now the heat shield, which is the structure that was exposed when we jettisoned the trunk from the Dragon capsule, that heat shield is pointing forward, pardon me, which uh, basically leads the capsule to the landing site. That heat shield uh, is comprised of Pika 3.0, 
which stands for Phenolic Impregnated Carbon Ablator. First-gen PICO was actually first developed by NASA for studying and sampling comets within our solar system. Uh, SpaceX partnered with NASA to develop PICA-X, which was the second-generation product used on all Dragon 1 cargo resupply missions that successfully resupplied the space station on 20 missions. And then PICA 3.0 was developed specifically for use on Dragon 2 uh, crew and cargo missions with enhanced structural and thermal properties that optimized the heat shield and drove down costs and mass. So uh, the remainder of the Crew Dragon capsule is comprised primarily of SpaceX proprietary ablative material. It's another class of thermal protection, which is lighter weight versus the PICA, and it also protects the underlying composite structure during reentry to ensure structural capabilities are maintained. So that's the white stuff on the side of the Dragon capsule. Uh, now, while Crew Dragon will experience temperatures well over uh, 3,000 degrees, I said before, it gets about 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit uh, during peak reentry conditions. The characteristics of the TPS, which stands for Thermal Protection System, uh, coupled with the Environmental Control and Life Support System uh, in the pressurized interior, all of that will ensure that the AX2 crew will stay cool and comfortable during all phases of reentry through splashdown, uh, and also helps ensure that we can reuse this capsule on future missions as well. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Well, if you watch the launch webcast of AX2, you know that one of the goals of Axiom Space is to find new ways to promote and foster the creation of space-themed art. Over the course of this mission, Axiom Space 3 has been releasing digital collections from artists on our Web3 platform. Axiom Space 3 is a token-gated community network that allows members to collect premium space-inspired collectibles and engage with astronauts, space technology professionals, and Web3 entrepreneurs building at the intersection of deep tech industries. For this mission, Axiom Space and Artblocks Engine announced a groundbreaking partnership that will see the launch of a space-infused NFT collection. Nose cone secured for entry. Something nice uh, on the loops there. That is a good update. That nose cone is locked and loaded. Locked and loaded. <laughs> and back to the NFT collection. Uh, this is a piece called Imagine by Nadia Bremer. Nadia Bremer is an art block artist, astronomer, and data visualization designer. This new Artblocks engine collection features a 222-piece algorithmically generated collection that showcases imaginary maps of the stars with unique constellations. To make this collection even more unique, the digital art has been initiated from the ISS by AX2 Commander Peggy Whitson during this mission. You can grab one of these beautiful digital star maps beginning on May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Additionally, the AX2 digital art collection featured work by Thank You X, an American artist out of Los Angeles, California. Thank You X sent up a piece of his physical art canvas to space titled Urge for Perfection and released a commemorative NFT called AX2, which celebrates this mission and the canvas going to space. This NFT was available throughout the mission with sales closing at Splashdown. These collaborations with digital artists and brands bring a new level of creativity and inclusivity to the commercial space industry. For more on this and all of our digital collectible activities, visit nft.axiomspace.com. At Axiom Space, we are hard at work building the next destination in low Earth orbit. 
Axiom Space is being designed as a true continuation and evolution of the International Space Station. With so much knowledge gained over the last 20 plus years, Axiom Space's goal is to build upon the successes and lessons learned over that time while expanding access to low Earth orbit for more countries, institutions, industries, and individuals than ever before. With Axiom Station currently under construction here, there, we have an update for you on the growth and development of what we intend and how we are going to be the first commercial space station. We are building the world's first commercial space station, one element at a time. We think that what we're doing is for everyone everywhere. This is a global endeavor. Our partner, Talisalani in Italy, is in the finishing stages of uh, building the first module, the first pressure vessel. We are here in the integration and manufacturing area of uh, Talisalani space. Here we have uh, the, uh, the two cons that uh, will, uh, will be part of the module. Uh, is also uh, the gate to the module, to come in and to come out. The very big cylinder that uh, will be the core of the module. Just to have an idea of the dimension of the real module, uh, you can see me uh, compared with the structure. On these ports, all the additional modules will be docked. This is uh, the most complex piece of the entire Axiom module. We're on pace to build a human-rated spaceship faster than anybody that's ever built one. When we look at our roadmap, we look to see how we can double its capability every five years. It requires a lot of different talents and a lot of different engineering backgrounds, so we've really expanded the team. I'm working on the time-sensitive network aspect of the space station. So that's the network, have all the flight computers synchronized and actually do the thruster firing at the perfect time. So this is the command trailer. We're able to control our test stand, which enables us to vary our set pressures, our flow rates into the thruster in order to uh, collect performance data at various OFs and uh, chamber pressure conditions. It's always a blast to come out here, set everything up, and start lighting rockets off. Behind us, we have the carbon dioxide removal subassembly. We're going to be creating the most uh, integrated ecosystem that has ever been put into space thus far, which is a really cool thing to be able to say. I fabricate PC boards and cables and harnessing. This is a life-critical job, and you want to make sure you do the best possible job. Fifteen to twenty years from now, we're going to be surrounded by objects that we can't imagine how we live without that were manufactured in space. I think there's another promise, too, and that's why I'm really excited about the AX2 crew. There is this effect that people have gone to space and had this is called the overview effect. Many people have come back profoundly changed because of their experience. And I think the more people that we can have that see the world as the whole world, the better off we all are.
Now we have some good news. Uh, SpaceX core Michael Blasco uh, gave a quick debrief to the AX2 crew to let them know um, the final timing estimations on uh, their re-entry. So uh, we have an updated uh, estimated time for that loss of signal. This will last about seven minutes, and we're expecting that to occur um, GMT 0251 and end at 0258. Um, so again, last thing, seven minutes. Uh, we did hear that weather conditions are direct quote, outstanding. So that is excellent. Um, once again, it sounds like this will be super visible across the uh, Gulf of Mexico. Once again, we are, are targeting a landing at around Panama City. So um, head outside and watch it. <laughs> it's gonna look awesome. <laughs> well, while we wait for uh, more updates, here's a fun list the teams put together about the mission. 15 things to know, a few things that we want to know about this mission. The crew conducted over 20 microgravity research projects. Some of the research conducted on the mission included studying immune dysfunction in tumor organoid models that can help predict and prevent cancer, investigating how commercial spaceflight crew members adapt to microgravity, and exploring how weather modification works in low gravity conditions. The crew held STEAM events with students all over the world. More specifically, they conducted a series of live science demonstrations with students on Earth through amateur ham radio events, a student art competition from space, and engaging in student-led projects with universities like MIT. Well docked to the ISS, they orbited the Earth 126 times and traveled a mere 3.33 million miles. AX2 was the first commercial mission with both private and government-sponsored astronauts. Peggy Whitson is now the first female commander of a private space mission, adding to her accomplishment as the first female commander of the ISS and extending her record for the longest cumulative time in space by an American astronaut to 674 days across her four flights. Ali Alkarni and Rihanna Barnawi are the first Saudi astronauts to visit the ISS, and Rihanna Barnawi is the first Saudi female to go to space. John Schaffner became the first person from the state of Alaska and first Fairbanksian to fly to space. Axiom Space's Mission Control Center in Houston became the 12th ground segment partner for the International Space Station. For the first time, induced pluripotent stem cells were manufactured in space by astronauts. By studying stem cells in space, we can address the challenges that currently limit us as we study these uh, cells in regenerative medicine across uh, low Earth orbit and down here on Earth. Have a nice live view of our crew in the capsule. Again, you see our mission specialist, Rihanna Barnawi on the left, followed by pilot John Schaffner, Commander Peggy Whitson, and on the far right, mission specialist, Ali Alkarni. On that far left, Rihanna Barnawi conducted seven consecutive days of life science glove box operations during her eight-day docked mission timeframe. So plenty of fun first and amazing work done by this crew during their mission. Here's another fun one. Our zero-G indicator named GG continued the tradition of having the microgravity indicator inside the spacecraft to provide a visual reference for when the crew has reached weightlessness. As the fifth crew member of AX2, Gigi's mission is to inspire children around the world to learn about space. Gigi is a Build-A-Bear teddy bear wearing Axiom's AX-EMU spacesuit, just like the ones that NASA astronauts will wear on future missions to the moon. AX2 is a precursor for Axiom Station. These missions are an important step along the journey of constructing the world's first commercial space station.
AX2 also did some tech demos on board. The AX2 crew successfully conducted two Axiom space-led technology demonstrations on the space station, which are trailblazers for the next generation of video communication in space and imagery downlink. Returning with them in SpaceX Dragon Freedom is actually more than 300 pounds of cargo and important data that will impact our understanding of human physiology on Earth and on orbit. As of right now, we can see AX2 crew are in their suits, in their seats. They're continuing to follow progress on their tablets and the display screen above their head. <clears throat> um, we have an anticipated loss of signal um, coming up in about 12 minutes, a little bit, almost 13 minutes, or excuse me, um, that LOS will occur in six minutes, and we expect that to last for seven minutes total. Um, and we have an anticipated splashdown time of 8.04 p.m. Pacific, 11.04 p.m. Eastern Time. So up next will be that communications blackout period. This happens <clears throat> every crew mission that we have as they re-enter the Earth's atmosphere. The exterior of the capsule uh, works really hard to, uh, basically, it's, it's encountering a lot of friction as it is re-entering the Earth's atmosphere, and that actually helps the capsule uh, slow down significantly uh, before, we have to, before we deploy the, uh, the parachutes. Now, the suits that you see them wearing now, uh, they are fully customized and fitted for each crew member. Uh, we can see their visors are now down. Uh, in the locked position. And SpaceX Dragon crew entry prep is complete. Copy that, Dragon. We see your visors are down, restraints are secure, and satchels are also secure. Five minutes to expected LOS. We will see you on the other side at 0258 Zulu. 0258 Zulu. Good readback. Now, for those of you that have been following along, <clears throat> you know that the visors come down for the more dynamic parts of the flight, which, of course, would be uh, re-entry would be considered one of those. Uh, those helmets that they have are actually 3D printed, which is, personally, I think, pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, the outer layer of the spacesuit is flame-resistant. Um, they wear hearing protection. Uh, both during ascent and re-entry. Uh, and, you know, the spacesuits look good, but more importantly, they keep the crew safe uh, right. through all phases of the flight. Now, as we mentioned before, we are targeting a splashdown off the Gulf Coast of Florida near Panama City. Expected splashdown time is 11.04 p.m. Eastern, 8.04 p.m. Pacific. Uh, so that's coming up here in just over 16 minutes. The next thing we have coming up um, in about three minutes is the anticipated loss of signal, or LOS, as we hear it referred to on comms.
That's a live view of SpaceX Mission Control here in Hawthorne, California. AX-2 is Axiom's second mission with SpaceX, and there are two more planned, AX-3 and AX-4, who will also be in SpaceX vehicles. Back at Axiom headquarters, uh, Michael Lopez Agria, our chief astronaut, is our commander for AX-3, and he is already in training. Mike Lopez Alegria, also known as MLA. And so the AX3 mission is already underway. Now coming up to the anticipated loss of signal, or LOS. <clears throat> Once again, this is expected to last for seven minutes. All right, so at this point, we are entering the communications blackout period or LOS, loss of signal. This will last um, for seven minutes due to plasma formation around the exterior of the spacecraft. During this time, no vehicle telemetry is received by mission control or the recovery team, and no external commanding of the vehicle or voice communication is possible. 
As a reminder, Dragon is designed to fly itself and continues to autonomously use Draco thrusters to orient itself during the re-entry phase. Uh, during re-entry, the vehicle will be slowing down from orbital velocity, which is about 17,500 miles per hour, um, and it will basically continue to decrease a lot of that deceleration being, or excuse me, a lot of that deceleration occurring during this atmospheric re-entry. Um, and then the top temperature for Dragon, as I said uh, earlier, exterior temperatures reach about 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit. So the crew remains comfortable as we are flowing nitrox, uh, cool nitrox air, uh, both into their suits as well as into Dragon's interior cabin. So while it gets toasty on the outside, and we will see the evidence of that <laughs> once we yes. get um, lights shining on Dragon and it's lifted up uh, onto the deck of our recovery vessel, um, Megan, we will actually be able to see uh, the the ablative material on the exterior of the capsule. It will uh, it'll have some charring on it, which is yep. uh, a good indication that it, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I just call them toasted marshmallows. That's the kind of brown patina it reminds me of. So once again, we are in the anticipated communications blackout period. We have about four minutes remaining. Total runtime for this uh, blackout period is seven minutes, so we're roughly about halfway through. Um, in previous crew returns, we have sometimes regained uh, communication faster than expected, so um, probably in a couple minutes we might hear uh, SpaceX core Michael Blasco start hailing the crew to see if we can regain those communications. Now our first views of Dragon, hopefully we'll be able to bring them to you soon, um, but they will be the thermal cameras that, we, that will be tracking Dragon's re-entry. Uh, if you live on the Gulf Coast, it should be visible um, streaking across the night sky. Once again, we have an anticipated splashdown time of 11.04 p.m. Eastern, so about 10 minutes from now. Now at about 18,000 feet in altitude, the Drogue parachutes will deploy. And after that, around 6,000 uh, feet altitude, we will have the main parachute deployment. And there's our first live view of Dragon Freedom with the Axiom 2 crew. This is coming from one of our thermal tracking cams. I believe this might actually be the WB um, plane, the WB-57 plane from NASA. This is a thermal imaging tracking cam. About two minutes remaining until we have an anticipated uh, ability, uh, when, until when we anticipate being able to restore communications with the crew. Once again, the buildup of plasma on the outside of the capsule prevents any communications going to or coming from the Dragon capsule. You can see SpaceX engineers there on console monitoring Dragon's progress as it is autonomously 
steering itself to the splashdown site off the coast of Florida. Once again, we're targeting a landing uh, near Panama City in the Gulf of Mexico. And a quite excited small crowd outside of Mission Control here at SpaceX. You can see them there awaiting the return of the, the 10th mission mm -hmm. of uh, crew members on board Dragon. Yeah, and we're well underway uh, with our second shift operations here at SpaceX headquarters. So we can see some folks as you uh, yeah, can definitely see they're gathering, awaiting uh, more views of, oh, there's a beautiful wow. shot. We can see that capsule wow. now streaking through the night sky. I believe this camera view might be coming from the recovery vessel or from one of the uh, aerial assets that we have in the area. We're now coming up to the end of the, uh, of the expected loss of signal. So we're now moving toward AOS or acquisition of signal. That's incredible. And we should probably hear SpaceX core Michael Blasco start hailing Dragon, SpaceX, comm check. We have you loud and clear. Likewise, good to have you back. Expect automated chute deployment. Dragon cap. All right, great news there. Those communications have been restored with the Axiom crew. The next event we have coming up. GPS has converged. Expect nominal altitude for drogue chute deploy. Copy, nominal altitude for drogue chute deploy with GPS. Now we expect those drogues to deploy when the Dragon capsule is around 18,000 feet in altitude. And we're roughly a minute and a half away from deployment. Another view coming to us from the WB-57 chaser plane. These are thermal images. Drogue window. Now standing by for deployment of the drogue parachutes. These will be the first of two sets of parachutes that will deploy to help further slow down the Dragon capsule. Should see those drogue deploys 
uh, excuse me, those drogues deploy any second now. Looks like they're going now. Visual on two healthy drogues. Dragon copy, two healthy drogues. All right. Great news there. Those two drogue parachutes have deployed. That helps to stabilize the Dragon capsule and uh, provide that initial deceleration via parachute. Up next, we will have the main parachutes deploy. Vehicle velocity at main chute deployment is about 119 miles per hour, and they deploy between 6,500 and 6,000 feet. There we can see those drogues pulling away, exposing the main parachutes. There are four main parachutes on the Dragon capsule, and it looks like those are now expanding that reefing. Main chute descent rate nominal. And Dragon copies, nominal chute. Now this is a really cool view from the Dragon capsule. That's actually from the basin where the main parachutes. One kilometer. Uh, One thousand meters. Copy. It's a view from where those main parachutes were just located. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from this point on, we will hear Commander Peggy Whitson call out the altitude uh, of the Dragon capsule. So we just heard her call out one kilometer, meaning one kilometer above the uh, ocean surface. Eight hundred. Copy, eight hundred. So at this point in time, we can see we have four healthy main parachutes have deployed. Uh, for the Axiom 2 crew. In a matter of minutes, they have gone from 17,500 miles per hour um, down to uh, roughly uh, now about 70 miles per hour. Um, Copy, even less 600. than that, as the, or excuse me, when the main parachutes were deployed, they were going about 119 miles per hour. Um, and by the time that they actually land in the water, um, it's about 10 miles per hour, thereabouts. Four hundred. Copy, four hundred meters. Brace. Copy, 200 and brace for splashdown. Right, standing by for a splashdown of the Axiom 2 crew.
AX2 is back on Earth. As you can see on your screen, visual confirmation for splashdown of our Dragon spacecraft. Dragon Freedom has returned home with the AX2 crew. SpaceX C splashdown and mains cut. At this time, you are go for procedure 4.800. And we're in that 4.800 flesh down. SpaceX sees this. We're in water uprighting. SpaceX sees the same. Peggy, John, Ali, Rihanna, on behalf of SpaceX, welcome home. Well, and SpaceX, we would like to tell you that was a phenomenal ride. <laughs> we really enjoyed all of it. You are the best. As you can see on your screen, the SpaceX recovery team uh, and vessels have been waiting for Dragon Splashdown, uh, which they made on time just one minute ago at 8.04 p.m. Pacific. Um, they will now make their way to the Splashdown location. The teams have been ready and waiting about three nautical miles away. So, and SpaceX, uh, Dragon, we feel like we're probably in stable one. Copy, stable one. All right, that communication there, just uh, Commander Peggy Whitson uh, basically estimating what position Dragon is in, um, depending on how it lands. Um, generally speaking, it lands upright. <coughs> excuse me, which is we refer to as stable one. Um, but